Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 300. And 10, 310, Thursday, August the 31st, 2023, end of August, Mark. We're heading into spring here in the Southern Hemisphere and hopefully some better weather, Mark. Um, and as we we're chatting offline before we started, the weather has been a little bit grotty, Mark, is my Grotty. That's grotty. interesting word a for bit the weather. Wet, a bit cold um, and typical, I suppose, Melbourne weather, Mark. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully the weather picking up, although the prediction is that we may have a very hot and bushfire-prone summer. So I'm not looking forward to that, Mark. How are you? I'm wonderful, Brendan. It's a bit. Of, I've travelled down um, from the tip of Cape York to Newcastle to just have a flash visit at home, um, and crikey's, I'm suffering with the cold. I think it. Well, geez, it was only got to 24 today up here. <laughs> Glorious sunshine. It must be. You must feel like you're in in a, in a refrigerator, hey? <laughs> You must, um, you must be suffering, although I don't feel sorry for you, Mark. I'm sorry. I do not feel sorry for you. Um, safe travels, that's good. You've got um, all the way back um, to your, um, I was going to say your base, but it's not necessarily your base now, and um, I presume you're heading back up north as soon, and safe travels on the way back, which I'm sure there will be. And just uh, we, a bit of a shout-out um, and a bit of housekeeping, Mark, vetgurus.com, the place to go, look at our previous episodes and perhaps become a subscriber. If you haven't, it costs $0 to become a, a subscriber, uh, and... Although we would like you to help throw us a bone and perhaps think about giving us a couple of dollars, the equivalent of a cup, cup of coffee would be great to help our production costs. And you can do that in a couple of ways. One is by going to our site on uh, Etsy. I almost forgot that. At etsy.com and just search for Vet Gurus, all one word. And look at the merchandise a fantastic merchandise there and buy something um, not only you're supporting the podcast um, but you also get some amazing product um, that will put a smile on on your dial i expect um, otherwise you can become a patron of vet gurus um, just by going to vetgurus.com and you could do it just for one month and give us a dollar five dollars ten dollars whatever and uh, we will be eternally grateful and a big thank you to our, we do have three main sponsors that do kick in a, a significant amount of our production costs, and that's Specialised Animal Nutrition Australia, Microchips Australia, and Chemical Essentials. So thank you to all of those. And with that, Mark, I think you need to talk about a, a new snake species that's been found in Australia. Well, it's it's really interesting, Brendan, because I think we can do these sorts of um, stories on a regular basis that um, the more I see of reptiles in the wild, the more I think that uh, a whole bunch of species have been lumped together um, and eventually will be teased out into a variety of, um, you know, uh, 
uh, more more specific, as DNA and and uh, more information comes around, there'll be there'll be many more species identified, and this is one of the ones at the moment a, a venomous snake um, that uh, occurs widely across central Australia from. Um, um, South Australia up to the Northern Territory and across to Western Australia, the desert whip snake, uh, whose scientific name is Demanzia cyanocrasma. Um, it's been sort of classified with another whip snake over the last few decades, um, but there's been the thought that it might be a distinct species on its own. Um, and recent research through the, led by the University of Adelaide's genetics team, and the geneticist James Nankerville and Mark Hutchinson, and some Perth researchers, Brian Bush and uh, Brad Marion. Um, yeah, they put it all together and, and uh, have published the identification, uh, you know, the, the appropriate um, taxonomic uh, um, publication to identify a new species. Um, and they're beautiful snakes too, Brendan. They're, they're whip snakes, so they're thin and long, but they have a uh, Beautiful blue coloration, um, nice network uh, background of darker color, and as they get to their end, they're a lovely coppery sort of color. So um, spectacular looking snake. They uh, certainly are, and uh, and those big eyes, don't they? They have those big eyes as well, and I've certainly seen a few of these. They are pretty, and they are, I suppose, part of reason why they call whip snakes are quite. Um, Quite quick, they're quite quick, aren't they? They're quite um, feisty and quick little snakes, and they're—I think—they're mildly venomous, aren't they? As well, yeah. Um, yes. So, yes. Um, new it's species. Another one, another another one, one that I can't put my name on. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, at least it's not named after a famous <laughs> actor again, Mark. Um, this one. Yes, uh, my story is a, a, a bit of a quick one, Mark, and it's about too much sex. Uh, too much sex is killing quolls. Um, so the Australian um, quoll mark. Queensland researchers have discovered why they're dropping dead, Mark, after their marathon sex sessions. And we do know there's, there's several species that um, engage in sort of um, frantic mating, Mark, where it's um, typically um, then um, attributed to high cortisol levels being the reason why they end up dying, Mark. And they think with these quolls, Mark, that it's more so that they're just they're just tired, Mark. They're just tired. They've just had enough of um, chasing chasing their little um, little um, friends around to um, forego sleep, Mark. And they reckon that the, um, potentially. They're resting only about seven percent of the day, Mark. Um, that's about what you do, Mark. But that's, not that not that you're. Um, t- um, it's too much sex killing you. It's no, too, right. too much photos killing you, uh, <laughs> um, and too much of a night hour, Too much time spent on social media, Mark. So yes, they they two male quolls, Mark, that they were studying for the research covered about ten kilometres in each night, Mark. They were. Saying that so roughly the and I hate this. So I shouldn't have read this out. This sentence, roughly the equivalent of a human walking forty kilometres a night. Um, so the lead authors want to investigate whether similar factors are affecting other animals, including Virginia opossums, Mark, who who have similar physiological changes as well. So, well, the yes. one that's that's intro, the fact in this one that's really interested me is that. We've long thought that the desiurids that have this um, uh, frenzied mating and uh, and expiration of the males that it was the stress hormones, the cortisol, yep, and that's whatnot. Right. 
but um, but they're they're simply they're suggesting that um, that that might not be the case that the stress hormones might not be the main factor. It's just simple exhaustion that they've burnt too many calories and become emaciated and cannot go on. Yes, and this study was done on old Groot Island, Mark, in the Gulf of um, Gulf of Carpentaria, um, and I love I love Groot Island. Just a great name. Um, so that's my story, Mark. Um, and yeah, there we go. Um, so more news to come. Once we, a bit like the species, um, new species, Mark. I'm sure there'll be an update on the articles about too much sex um, at some <laughs> stage. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I think we'll leave it at that, and we'll jump into our main topic. And this one, Mark, I selected. And, um, I thought it was good timing because we're right at the end of the month here, and in Australia, it is Dental Month, Mark. Um, and I and I know most of the, a lot of the the countries, um, including the UK and the USA, do have a Dental Month for pets. And I thought we'd talk about dental disease in snakes because it's not something that people particularly think of do they um you know um doing a dental on a snake what the hell is that um so we're going to chat a little bit sort of in two parts i thought mark um we may cover it all in this one episode or depending on how much we we um verbalize um or go on off on monologues we we may make it a two-parter mark so we'll talk first about the dentition of snakes and um you know i think it's always fascinating the different types of of dentition and it's often used as a method to to determine um what um genuses and species isn't it um or gen- um, groups of snakes um based on their dentition type um although as you mentioned previously with that article mark um dna is um sort of scupper in that um recently so we'll talk about the dentition and then we'll talk about dental disease in them and now um a couple of um comments on some cases mark so let's jump uh, and i think we'll we'll there's basically four different types of of dentition that we see in snakes mark and i'll get you to jump jump through um into the details of the first one but the four types are a glyphus um solen glyphus um pro Pteroglyphus and Epistoglyphus. So, do you want to call the first one, Mark, which is basically means lacking in grooves, doesn't it? That's, the yes. Aglyphus snakes. That's right. Glyphus is a, um, I think it's a Latin, yep. originally from a Latin word, which means grooves. And so, an Aglyphus uh, dentition is one that's lacking in grooves and all the teeth are solid. Uh, and they are characteristic of the um, of the pythons. Um, they're they're uh, not meant to deliver any venom, and their sole purpose um, is for is uh, to serve to grip the prey while the um, the snake manoeuvres around the prey to swallow it. Um, and the other characteristic of the uh, the fangs that are lacking in grooves um, is that they are. Uh, um, they're all of similar sh- uh, shape and size. There's not any of them that stand out as being longer than any of the others. Um, and uh, and yeah, if I have to be bitten by a snake, um, it's generally um, a uh, relatively small snake that has a glyphus dentition. The class- yeah, and the classic with this is, a, well, all our, all our, here in Australia, it's all our Pythons, most of our pythons are carpet pythons. So these snakes that have these non-grooved, lots of little teeth there, and uh, 
often pretty razor sharp, aren't they, Mark? Um, and they're our, basically our non-venomous ones. Most of these aren't aglyphers. Virtually all of these are non-venomous. There's probably some exceptions. And, yeah, there we go. So aglyphers lacking in a groove. And the next one, Mark? The next one, uh, I have similar to you, difficulty pronouncing the Solinge glyphus uh, name, um, but it means the pipe grooved fangs. These fangs are hollow or tubular. Um, they remind me of a hypodermic needle. Um, the hollow core leads up to the venom gland, um, and so the... the um, the venom runs down into the uh, tube and gets injected into the prey. Um, the fangs are much longer um, and they hinge so they can uh, sit back in the mouth and then when the mouth is open, they uh, swing forward and, and uh, um, down at an angle perpendicular to um, maybe even a little bit more the uh, long axis of the jaw. Um, and the classic species um, that we think of like this are the the, the uh, vipers. Um, and these uh, are pretty scary-looking fangs, aren't they, Mark? Um, <laughs> and I invite our listeners to um, jump on Dr. Google and have a look at the, um, the, the fangs of some of these vipers. And um, there's some great little drawings and even 3D, you know, renderings of them from, from CT scans, etc., they're, yeah, they're, they're a little bit scary, Mark. I, well, I certainly find them a tad, tad scary. And, and the way they, they, they hinge, as you mentioned, Mark, and they swing forward when the mouth's open to bite. So, um, yeah, these are um, a bit scary, Mark, or very scary. Um, next ones are the proteroglyphus um, dentition. Um, these are the ones that have a groove um, that's, uh, as far as I understand it, it's, uh, it's proteroglyphus refers to the orientation being forward grooved. Um, these snakes have very few other teeth except for these enlarged fangs. The fangs are located at the front of the mouth. Um, they uh, are not hinged. They point downwards. Um, they are short and hollow, um, and they provide a, um, a front-facing exit hole and a short groove. Um, and special muscles increase um, the, in some species, special muscles can uh, increase the, the amount of venom that's squeezed out. And in uh, a few, such as spitting cobras, um, that uh, ejection of venom can be so much that um, they, they um, spit it out, uh, they squirt it at, uh, um, yes. at enemies. Um, and it's the elapids um, that... Uh, that largely fit into the proteroglyphus dentition. Yeah, so that's our little friendly tiger snake, um, for example, that um, that um, and and brown snakes, etc., here in in Australia that um, have these forward grooved fangs or front of the mouth fangs mark. So, what's our next one? A pistoglyphus. They're the the uh, rear grooved, and it's interesting how the rear grooved and the forward grooved match the. Uh, front fanged and rear fang snakes. The epistoglyphus snakes are um, uh, the, have a groove that runs down the back of their fangs to channel the venom. Um, they're enlarged teeth, and these ones are, um, uh, are situated at the back of their mouth. 
they need a chewing action, and so they have other teeth um, that uh, they will walk over the the, um, the tissue of the prey to um, almost effectively provide many avenues for the the venom to enter the prey. Um, it's a relatively um, uh, old and under you know unsophisticated underdevelopment, probably a really relatively early in the evolutionary pathway. Um, as far as venom delivery systems go. Um, and that's, you know, the classic one is our Australian brown tree snake, um, but the whole colubrid family generally fit into the Epistoglyphus group. Yes. So that that thought of, you know, that that um, rear-grooved or rear-fanged uh, snake, the way it manages to inject that venom is it grabs hold of its prey item and it's sort of trying to pass the prey item to the back of the mouth where those those venom um, glands will be able to pop the venom into them and by that sort of chewing action and um, I know I've spoken to some humans who've who've been chomped on by these um, rear grooved um, snakes mark and they do chew on them, you know, they chew on their arm or whatever. And it's not something that um, I'd like to experience and thank goodness I have yet to experience and I do not want to experience in the future, Mark. So so there are sort of main types of um, dentition that we have in snakes and, and basically we're looking at the ones that don't have those grooves um, there. We have those mean-looking ones with the big pipe grooves, Mark. Um, we have the forward groove and the rear-grooved ones as well. And then we have, a, as I mentioned, the aglyphous ones, the, the classic snakes that typically don't have venom and they just have lots of razor-sharp, typically backward-pointing teeth, Mark. So do we see dental disease in snakes, Mark? Excellent, excellent question, Brendan. And I would answer in the affirmative. We definitely see dental disease in snakes. And I think one of the reasons it's not immediately thought of or largely reported in the literature is that it's com confounded with um, a broader um, a disease process that goes on in the mouth very often. So we all are aware of um, what's colloquially known as mouth rot. And um, and yeah, I think that um, uh, there are there are times when uh, dental disease is the um, underlying focal point where the whole problem starts. There's other times where um, there are other locations that uh, infection arises, and then the teeth uh, become secondarily affected. Um, but yes, I would say clearly there is at least that form of dental disease, and and. Um, as we're talking about off air in our um, uh, many hour long preparation for the podcast, um, there, there are certain other disease processes that uh, that arise uh, that give rise to uh, changes to the health of the, yep. the teeth and the teeth roots. Absolutely. And I suppose my next um, sort of thought on talking about dental disease in snakes is, you know, what? how would they present the signs of these? And, and typically it's that... That, well, it could be, I typically think, my snake hasn't eaten, you know, it won't eat. Um, it's skipped a couple of feeds. Um, I always think, is there a stomatitis? Is there something going on inside that mouth with that animal? Um, and often it's tied in with other secondary things or underlying factors like husbandry and temperature and our usual things that we talk about with our with our vivarium set up with them, Mark. Um, but the other classic sign is... Um, it's the Billy Idol snake, Mark. It's the snake that has a sneer. 
Um, yes. And I'm sure you've seen those. So the lips are curled, the upper lips are curled upwards or, um, or the lower lips are curled downwards because we have a, a stomatitis, we have a gingivitis, we have disease in that mouth and dentals are a disease going on there and production of um, inflammatory um, factors and inflammatory tissue and also that caseous pus that we see in the mouth, Mark. And it is pretty dramatic, isn't it, that that, that horrible the caseous pus that we see in these really severe dental cases in, in snakes. And they do seem to be focused uh, over often the medial and lateral aspects of those rows of teeth. And I think when you're talking about signs that people might see, you're exactly right. If the, if the snakes are not eating, um, it's, it's one of the potential reasons is because their mouth hurts. Um, and... And I think all those other things, the functions of the mouth, the ability to uh, put the jaws back in place normally after a strike, the ability to prehend their prey and hold it properly, the ability to place the mouth on the prey item and, and not miscue and grab onto something else. Um, they're all signs that uh, uh, if they're not working normally um, and strange things are happening in terms of the function of the teeth, then I would start looking uh, for those earlier signs of, uh, of dental disease, of inflammation at the gingiva yes. where the, the uh, teeth are attached. And you're spot on with one of the conditions that's not not rare as far as these mouth conditions, Mark, where they have almost like a disarticulation of that mandible there. And we know that snakes are very flexible in that they can, you know, pop, pop that little symphysis apart because it's more like a little fibrous union. It's certainly not a solid union there with, with most snakes and they're using that as a method to in order to help ingest you know, a large prey item and then they manage to sort of, you see them sort of move in that, that mandible, move in that jaw and, and realigning um, that, those two sides of the mandibles. And it's, you know, I'm sure we spoke off air beforehand we both of us have seen cases of this uh, over the years um, with various snake species where they where something goes wrong with that process and they that it, it cannot be realigned there and and we have to often end up doing some sort of surgical um, procedure to help um, re-establish the normal alignment of that those mandibles mark and and Brendan it can be everything from uh, just the the um, the gums and teeth are diseased, maybe slightly misoriented, um, disoriented, and then they catch on other gingiva, and so the mouth might not be able to move or close normally, um, all the way through to um, uh, um, the results of inflammatory and infectious process in the gingiva uh, can cause parts of the mandible to be demineralized. Um, and then you can actually have fractures as the normal flexibility of the, the movement of the mandibles and the ligaments between them um, uh, is disrupted. And, and then in some cases, you can end up with um, actual mandibular fractures. Yep, great point, Mark. And we do, you know, we do see conditions that we may see in any mouth in these species mark um, like neoplasia for instance and the you know, typical one I'd most commonly see is an adenocarcinoma in snakes mark um, in the mouth there and, and then associated dental 
disruption or dental disease um, related to that as well. Um, so we, we need to always remember, you know, not just focus, is this a snake-specific problem that's causing the dental or mouth issue and then um, think, think broader as well. So, you know, we're not, we're not doing, you know, root canal um, treatment on our um, dental disease in snakes, Mark. Um, what happens with those those aglyphous snakes? Um, and let's take a classic one would be a, a carpet python that comes in with severe stomatitis and, and obvious teeth that are sort of half hanging out of the the uh, their, their, their sockets there, Mark. What, what, what's our approach to those and what's going to happen long term with that with that mouth assuming that response to treatment? Well, I think the, in, the first interesting thing to talk about is your description because it is exactly the, 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 the things that I see, that there are teeth um, that are hanging out at all different angles because these teeth are regularly shed and regrown. Um, and so once they have a disease process going on, then the process of shedding them uh, becomes disordered. And in some of those uh, um, sockets, it may even become, it may even fail that the new tooth grows. Yep. Um, but what we do um, is we need, what I would normally do would be that we would need to get a fairly um, detailed look inside the mouth, um, get our dental radiographs, um, and then we need to debride all the damaged tissue. We need to get right in there and um, and uh, take away all the that caseous uh, surface pus that you talked about. We need to uh, gently examine the the um, because there's long po pockets um, that these the the gingiva. Um, the uh, in other species we have the gingival pockets which might be one or two millimeters in most of our domestic animals but these gingival pockets are long and they allow the the um the effectively the teeth to sort of poke out of the gums so that um, uh, they can grip onto the prey um, and so there can be deep pockets and those pockets can dilate with pus so just cleaning the stuff off the surface is not nearly enough there you have to do that um, exploration down um, into the the uh, socket um, and flush all that material out and uh, and remove all the infected material you can find which does mean um, that some of those damaged teeth are going to come out yep but the good news is, assuming that they get better, is that they'll they'll have the replacement teeth that will come through, and um, then it's um, got a nice pearly white smile again, Mark, um, with that animal. Um, and also, we we ideally do the same we would with any other species with a sort of um, suspect bacterial overgrowth or infection there, um, getting a swab from in that mouth and seeing if we've got any bacteria there that um, um, needs some special attention with particular antibiotics um, as well. So, we, you know, our work up, the, the approach to the dental disease would be the same as a dental disease in another species. Um, but more often than not, the the, the the degree of the the dental disease in these snakes, um, when they're seen in a clinical situation, is certainly a lot worse than we would see in you know it's like a what grade three or four dental disease in a dog or a cat rather than a one or two you know so we typically don't see them do we presenting as a as a um, very early sign unless it's an animal that you have a very vigilant owner and they or they're bringing it in for routine health checks and as part of any routine health check of a snake 
you should be All flipping that, that mouth open yes. and having a good look inside there. That should be a... Um, mandatory on all all um, snakes that come in for examination. Now, Brendan, I've got a quick question for you. I always have a good question for you. Um, it's my understanding that uh, that we've had this discussion about gram stain before. Um, that in most instances, um, it's not a useful test. There are times when I have used it in bird looking at birds droppings, um, and I use interpret it carefully. But um, this is um, uh, one of those situations where I would use gram stain because with our Australian pythons, the normal floor of the mouth is a light population of gram-positive organisms. Um, and so if you do a gram stain of their mouth and, uh, and you come up with those uh, gram-negative rods, even if there's not a huge amount of, uh, you know, there might just be some slight particular hemorrhage on the the uh, gingiva um, near the teeth. Be aggressive, um, yes, with your treatment. Yeah. That's what you're going to say. Exactly. <laughs> yes, um, I agree, yeah. I mean, ideally we do a, a, a culture and sensitivity, but um, obviously the, the client might be cost-constrained or doesn't want to um, go down that track. So um, our next step from that would be trying to... Um, convince them to spend the money on doing a bit of a um, in-house stain and um, narrowing things down a little bit better there yes um, and the the other thing that I'd um, jumping around a little bit that I'd commonly commonly use um, or recommend with with these um, post-operatively mark um, with these snakes that have had treatment is um, the dent the gels, the chlorhexidine type gels, I, I, I'm a big proponent, proponent of using them um, and show the client how to um, apply that. And it's quite a simple technique. You apply, or well, the way I recommend is um, you spray the gel onto a, a cotton bud or a Q-tip um, and the client wipes from the front of this from the rostral area cordially um, so we're not catching that q-tip um, just inside the lips on each side and it's enough to um, apply some of that um, solution to help with the recovery of that mouth mark do you find that um, uh, many of these cases recur brendan uh sometimes they do yes um i think you get some chronic ones where they keep coming back with with individuals and then i think have we either got an individual that's got a deep-seated problem there it has an, an underlying health issue or a, a common occurrence with that particular individual would be that um i'd be suspecting the husbandry is inadequate um and, and long term they're not fixing the 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 things that we're we're um advising them to fix you know the hygiene the temperature gradients the general general care of that snake in the vivarian is is that is that what That's you're exactly getting what at, i was getting yeah. at exactly <laughs> so my other my other point was um Praise item size. Do, do you suspect there's any correlation with dental disease in snakes? Good and question, Mark. Good question. Yeah, I, th I think if they are, you know, if their mouth is bigger than their prey, um, then then or, or not, um, then yeah, I, I think it might make them physically prone to um, having having an issue there, Mark. And I, I think that's more likely to occur in a, in in somebody who's trying to really push. The snake, that a young snake, and they're trying to force feed it frequently, and and 
items that aren't um, aren't the correct size to try and get that snake to grow quickly to to and selling that snake on you know based on a certain size um that's what uh, that's what I tend to think of with those one Mark. so yeah I think we need to certainly look at that holistically look at the the um, history and the the husbandry and and that's one of the questions you need to ask the client you know what do you feed your snake and how often and what size is it and there may be a correlation there with with um, the dental disease going on and I think there's one degree further when you are making that inquiry is that um, most people who keep snakes think that as long as the snake's eating something, the snake is going to be okay. If it has a prey item of any sort, um, that's going to be fine. But um, I think my experience is that there's a real risk of, uh, of, of nutritional problems with um, some forms of prey um, that, uh, that particularly little snakes that are eating juvenile uh, rodents um, they're not going to get um, all the nutrients that yes. an adult prion will give. Excellent point. And the classic one there would be even feeding those those um, pinky mice or pinky rats, Mark, that are the very nutritionally inadequate, um, and or a fussy fussy eater. And I've had one recently. You know, a fussy um, eating snake who was fed on a, a completely inappropriate diet for years because the owner. Um, said that the snake would not eat. You know, the whole prey, uh, frozen thawed um, um, mice or rats, and um, it developed pretty dramatic um, variations on the metabolic bone disease. Mark um, and we traditionally don't think about snakes developing, you know, obvious clinical calcium vitamin D deficiencies um, I think there's a pretty good chance it is sitting there subclinically in in, in in a lot of snakes and if if somebody has the time or goes to the effort of of doing you know bone density studies in 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 pet snakes and compares it with with wild ones I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if there's obvious differences there Mark um, with them and that we've got subclinical changes and, and that's one of my theories Mark here's a theory for you with the this, the spinal osteopathy um, yes. condition in 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 pet snakes that we that's virtually unheard of in in wild snakes that I think there's a pretty good chance it is yeah, maybe multifactorial, but tied in with with our um, um, metabolic um, bone disease and our dietary deficiencies. Mark, um, the, I like in, your theory. I like your theory. So there you go. When that that seminal paper is written, Mark, hopefully they'll I'll quote Brendan um, at one at um, at some stage um, when it's written twenty years from now. Um, uh, but our wide ranging discussion. And well, they probably quote we... me and say that was a load of crap. Um, that, <laughs> that that podcast is said. Uh, our wide ranging discussion does point to the fact that um, uh, the dental disease is multifactorial, and we've followed the pathway from one of the factors down another rabbit hole to uh, to talk about other diseases. But I think that's the nature of the problem, that there's a whole bunch of husbandry aspects that predispose the snake to um, uh, damage to the mouth and access of uh, bacteria to that gingival tissue. Um, and But when it gets to that point, it can get out of control and requires fairly aggressive uh, you know, surgical treatment. The only other thing I was going to mention about that, Brendan, was that I think that, uh, you know, there's many situations with snakes that I uh, would have them 
um, well, I need when they've got something going on in their mouth, I need to intubate them to limit the chance that any of the the debris, the aerosolized caseous uh, 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 pus, uh, just to make sure that can't get down into the respiratory tract. Um, that I think that's a very important um, step to take when you yes. are debriding these mouths. Yes. Definitely. The gold standard is always having that intubated, especially if we're working inside the mouth there. And, and the beauty of birds as well, Mark, as um, reptiles is, it's pretty damn easy, isn't it, to see that um, glottis, glottis. To, to intubate them. So, so I'm the um, king of intubating those when I can't get anywhere near <laughs> the rabbits and gerbils that you do. Gerbils? I don't see too many of them, Mark. Um I think with that, we'll get out of here and we'll talk to you all next week. So the answer is yes, snakes (laughs) can get dental disease. Talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.